This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is presented as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsor nor the guests are rendering any medical advice. Any opinions or claims presented by the guests are their own. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, The Patients Speak, where we're combining the business and science innovations of medicine with the patient voice and what we need to hear to accelerate the patient's journey. And we're so glad today to have as our guest, Dr. Ann Hester. Thank you for having me. And your book, Patient Empowerment 101, even the 101 has this elemental, these are the main things you need to know about empowering patients and how they can speak more for themselves and get more from their healthcare interactions. And what was it about your own patient interactions that really motivated you to write a book called Patient Empowerment? Way back in medical school, I started seeing this tremendous void between the way doctors think and the way patients think. And the doctors would tell patients what to do and the patients will often say, okay, and go home and they may or may not do it. Patients are readmitted to the hospital over and over. Patients have unnecessary suffering and sometimes death as a result of many things, but one being the lack of communication and understanding between doctors and patients. And I just felt it was very important for patients to understand what they could do differently. Patients have tremendous power over their own health care. And now they're at a point that they want to claim that power. They want to be at the center of their healthcare team, which is where they rightfully deserve to be. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this sort of deferential engagement with physicians that patients just take what they say. And you even underscored to me that you'd rather be called Anne, a friend that happens to be a doctor. How does that relationship between patient and physician change if the patient feels more on equal footing? Well, what I say is different doctors are different. Some doctors are okay with being called by the first name, but the vast majority of physicians typically are not. And they want to keep the clear boundaries. They don't want to, unless they really know the patient well, to really be perceived as someone like their next door neighbor, because they want it to be clear. This is the information I'm giving you based on my background. And so there is going to be a delineation in probably most situations. Um, And so it is on a case-by-case basis. And typically, most of my patients did call me um, Dr. Hester. And that's certainly, um, it's being respectful, it's being appropriate. And doctors will sometimes say, hey, call me by my first name. And if they offer that, certainly by all means, um, patients should do so. Mm -hmm. And now you're moving into more of a medical administration, sort of an uh, overview, uh, more administration. Uh, How does that viewpoint give you a wider perspective on patient empowerment and more of in the system of healthcare and not just the one-on-one patient-doctor interaction? Well, the administrative aspect is um, one part, but I think that the emphasis really is on the tremendous amount of time I actually spent at the bedside. I was a primary care doctor um, for years, and then I became a hospitalist specialist 
we were called hospitalists, a hospital specialist for about 15 years. And I just saw so many situations in which the patients, they just, they really don't know. We go to medical school. We spend a ton of time in medical school and residency training and staying up all night, taking care of patients. We really want to be in the bed. So we have gotten to the point that sometimes we eat, sleep, and drink medicine. Patients don't have a patient school. They don't know what we're looking for frequently. They don't understand what specifically the doctor wants to know and what a doctor doesn't want to know. One time I asked a patient a yes or no question, just a timer, because she was a, a rather circuitous um, sort of lady. It took her 10 minutes to answer a yes or no question. And I think that's profound because that speaks to the fact that when patients aren't prepared, they don't know how to think through their problems. They can spend a lot of time giving a very roundabout answer. And that time um, is time on the clock. It's time that's ticking. Doctors frequently don't have a tremendous amount of time face to face with the patients. Frequently they spend more time I'm doing the administrative work, such as documenting in electronic health records, returning phone calls and so forth. And they actually spend with the patient face to face. So patients can be very prepared when they walk into the office so they can give a quote unquote elevator speech. Tell the doctor in 60, 90 seconds what's been going on, how severe it is, how long it's been going on, the modifying factors and so forth. Then that patient can frequently give the doctor a very short list of potential diagnoses. They taught us in medical school that most of the diagnosis is in the history. It's not in the lab test. And I thought the professor, you know, really didn't know what he was talking about, but it's so true. If you can give the doctor appropriate information, the doctor's not going to have to order a lot of tests and procedures to get to the bottom line, because you really already narrowed it down for him. And that's the piece that patients are missing. There is no patient school. They don't understand how to put this together. And that is extremely concerning, particularly in the face of this looming physician shortage of over 100,000 physicians by, you know, uh, in the next 12 years or so. And so patients really do need to be better equipped to make the best use of every moment they have with their physicians. We'll continue Mark's interview with today's guest in just a moment. Our sponsor, 83Bar, offers proven patient recruitment solutions for medical product launches and clinical trials. The team at 83Bar can help you achieve better patient outcomes, find client success stories and market reports, along with resources like videos and publications, all on their website, 83Bar.com. Well, you've really piqued my interest with this term. Uh, the patients didn't have patient school. You right. had medical school, but they exactly. didn't have patient school. And, you know, oftentimes in this podcast, we focus on what the industry or what the uh, physicians or what the providers or clinical researchers can do to listen better. But you're also emphasizing a point on how the patients can become better communicators in Absolutely. those physician interactions. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And, and I, 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 I'm mm -hmm. sorry, you go ahead, sir. No, I'm just thinking about the, the book now, The Patient Empowerment 101, and uh, I overlooked the subtitle. We often call it The Patient Journey, but you've almost emphasized a patient adventure. Yeah, that's Absolutely. more than a book. It's an adventure. It how is. Do you, how did you come to see that point of view? 
Well, with this book, not only do I take patients deep into um, medicine in a very conversational tone, there's a fun read, there are charts, there are little jokes here and there. So it is a very conversational book, but I also give them quizzes at the end of each chapter. I created a website that goes with the book. It's patientempowerment101.com. And on the website, they can download um, charts that they can use to create their own medical record. They can download charts to prepare for doctor's visits in advance. 11 of the most common symptoms, uh, abdominal pain, diarrhea, so forth. They can go through the list of questions that we're going to want to know so they can be prepared before they walk in. They can watch these cute little videos with lifelike doctors giving them advice, and they can take real-time quizzes. And so it's not just a book. This is an interactive experience where patients can jump deep into the mindset of doctors, the mindset of what's going on in healthcare in general, and they can come out on the other side much better equipped. This is their patient school, so to speak. And there's such an emphasis on, you know, pa the patients want a diagnosis faster. They want a yes. treatment journey faster. They want to get well, of course, faster. Absolutely. How does this kind of empowerment in your point of view really accelerate that patient journey? Well, there is something that most people aren't aware of. For doctors, doctors cannot just charge a certain amount. They have to be able to substantiate what they charge. There are national guidelines, uh, evaluation and management guidelines, and the doctors, if they're audited, need to be able to document in that record that they documented a variety of factors. There are eight things, severity, location, duration, quality, modifying factors, associated signs and symptoms, context, and timing. If you sit down and you go through these things, for instance, I have abdominal pain, how severe is it? Am I able to go to work? Is it minor? What's the location? Is it in the upper abdomen on the right side, the lower abdomen on the left side, the duration? It's been going on for days, weeks, months. The quality, modifying factors, associated signs and symptoms. Do I have nausea, vomiting? The context, did I develop back pain? That's severe, incapacitating, but I developed it a minute after I picked up a very heavy sofa. The timing when episodes come, did I last for seconds, minutes, or hours at a time. Those eight factors are things that your doctor is going to want to know about for every new symptom. The doctor needs to be able to document this, not only for building purposes, but also because these things will help narrow down the diagnostic uh, potentials dramatically. And so by preparing before you walk into the office, knowing these eight factors, you can go, you can add a tremendous amount to your visit, cut back on the what ifs, and help the doctor streamline the approach, which means the doctor would need to order fewer tests and procedures. The doctor would need to order fewer trials of medication, so to speak. And so you can get your diagnosis quicker and hopefully less expensively with fewer tests and procedures, some of which can be painful, expensive, and even potentially dangerous. And so patients can take center stage by understanding these concepts that the medical professionals, we know about that. We know about these things, but patients have not been privy to the same groundwork, so to speak, that we use to come to our diagnoses. Yes. 
And much has been written about uh, healthcare costs and how expensive medical care is. And you're actually giving us the other side of things. And that is the doctor also has incentives and disincentives, penalties, so to speak, uh, from payers, from, you know, Medicare on things like speed, things like readmissions. Uh, So everybody has a stake in accelerating things, it sounds like. Absolutely. And one thing that's very concerning is um, the organization that deals with the medical education. They have um, determined that, I think, in, in um, 2034, there may be about 130,000 130, or so um, doctors short. We may be short that many doctors. And so how are we going to take care of patients if we're over 100,000 doctors short in this country? Your, your business may be extremely short. It may be difficult to get in to see the doctor. And so when you go in, be prepared to talk to the doctor in an effective manner. Prioritize your concerns. Don't take in 20 years of records, six inches high. Your doctor's not going to be able to read them. Have everything in a concise manner where you can go from point to point to point, quickly hit the bullet points and help your doctor help you in an efficient, cost-effective manner. So good. Well, my guest is Dr. Ann Hester. She's the author of a great book called Patient Empowerment 101. And I was also uh, the... Sponsors of this podcast, 83 Bar, are interested in you know, recruitment for clinical trials and other methods to get the new treatments to patients faster. Yes. And we've been talking about accelerating the patient engagement. How, how can patients be more involved in you know, clinical research, uh, advisory boards, uh, clinical trials, things like this? I think that patients need to understand the risks and benefits. There are fears behind the unknown. And so if when patients are educated about these trials, they understand everything, they understand, okay, um, it's highly unlikely something bad is going to happen to me. But if I do get involved in this, the risk to me is minimal, but the potential benefit to me and other people is substantial. So if they fully understand that they have the opportunity to play a role in helping others, whether it is their kids, their kids' kids, or just the community in general, and they do so with minimal risk to themselves, I think people are more likely to want to get involved. When they don't know what to expect, they're more likely to shy away because there are always these horror stories, and people focus on the horror stories. But if more emphasis is placed on the success stories, then that may help recruit people. If Mm -hmm. there are more testimonials. There are more people who come out and say, I was involved in this and look, look what happened as a result. Then that can motivate people to want to get involved themselves. Yes. And we've been talking about both sides of this patient physician interaction. And many times I was curious, how how do physicians see recommending clinical trials as a treatment option, not just in rare disease and cancer, but in many different diseases that need new and better medicine? I think that it's going to be based on the physician and based on the location. A physician who is in a rural community who is not close to a university system may be less likely to want to refer um, the patient someplace far away than a physician, let's say, in Baltimore, who is near Johns Hopkins or the University of Maryland. And so it's going to be based on the physician's location, uh, the patient 
in many different realms as far as the patient's mindset, the patient's uh, fragility, the patient's strength. So it's going to be an individual sort of situation based on a variety of factors. Mm -hmm. And in your experience, have you seen these uh, decentralized clinical trials help this situation where, you know, it can be done in their own doctor's office or even at home diaries and testing? Is this a potential to expand that? It is. And I certainly have seen that. I have been um, in locations that I was close to medical centers, um, whether it was the University of Tennessee where I went to school or um, the University of Maryland, because I'm in Maryland. And so and I've had colleagues who have been uh, involved in in office um, research trials as well. And so there is definitely a role for those. And we also need to keep in mind that the treatments that we get today that impact our lives, that help us live longer, they have been approved because other people did have trials, other people were involved. And you don't just approve a drug unless you can prove that the benefit risk ratio is on the side of benefiting the masses of people. And so when we get sick and we go to the doctor and we benefit from these treatments, it's because of other people. And so it's like a gift that keeps giving. We benefited because of other people and we need to at least be open-minded, just like people give blood. We need to be open-minded about ways that we can advance healthcare for the next generation or even our current generation. There's so many potential ways out there to help people. Everybody's not going to be a doctor or nurse, but there's something everybody can do to improve the status of healthcare. I love the connection to donating blood. You know, it can be very personal and uh, a simple act, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Hester, I was also curious, uh, many parts of this book were based on some work that you did several years ago, and you've updated it, repackaged it, you know, made it a lot more interactive with exercises to empower patients. Yes. But let's say we were fast forwarding a bit, a few more years. How do you see things developing in the future? And I, I just look into the crystal ball. Maybe you were writing a third edition uh, five or 10 years from now. How do you think things are changing? Well, let me put this in context. In 2020, John Wiley and Sons um, published a book. It was called Your Family Medical Record, an Interactive Guide to Getting the Best Care. That was my first attempt at patient empowerment. In um, 2000, people didn't care about being involved. It's like, oh, well, the doctor has my records. Oh, well, the doctor tell me what to do. They weren't having it. They weren't really interested. So ultimately, the book went out of print. Of course, I kept the rights. And recently, I tested the waters again, and the response was tremendous. So I thought, well, let me just put this back out here. I took the best parts of that book. I added a lot more information based on the experiences I've had over the past 20 years. And I came up with uh, Patient Empowerment 101. And as opposed to the first time, and people were like, oh, well, my doctor would do it. Now the response has been tremendous. People are very excited. They're very interested. They love how they can learn this information in a very laid back conversational tone. We chuckle every now and then. So people have changed dramatically over that time. Now fast forward another 15 years or so. I think patients, as they become more and more savvy, they're going to be more and more involved in their care. 
And so the standard burial may be to call docs by their first name. I mean, they may, there may be a much stronger partnership, but patients are going to want that empowerment. This is their life. This is the life of mom, dad, brother, sister. And so they're no longer going to be satisfied just to accept what's given. They're going to want to be intricately involved. And I think that the level of patient interaction and involvement 15 years from now, 20 years from now, would be dramatically different than what it is today versus what it was 20 years ago. Yeah, it's very exciting to see. And another uh, part of our listenership are people in the healthcare industry, at biotech, at pharma, at device, and diagnostic companies. What would you say to this part of our industry about how to listen better to the patients as they develop new medications? I think that patients need to be heard. One thing that I learned early on is you can go to a patient with all the information in the world, and that doesn't mean the patient is going to be receptive. There is um, a rabbi that I follow, Dr. Jonathan Burness with Jewish Voice, and he says, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And I think that that's very profound. So patients, they're not, they don't want to be perceived as objects. They don't want to be perceived as numbers. They're individuals. They have feelings. They have concerns. They have desires. They have plans. And when you can get into the person individually and understand what matters, then you're going to be more likely to be able to reach that individual and to be able to partner with that individual. And then we will be able to accomplish much more because we'll be working together, not as uh, we, them, but as an us. Very good. Thanks for that point of view. Well, listeners, my guest has been Dr. Ann Hester. She's the author of a great book called Patient Empowerment 101 with a wonderful subtitle, More Than a Book, It's an Adventure. And it's great to think of the patient journey as an adventure. It's a, certainly a different point of view. Thanks Thank for being you. on our program, Anne. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was great. And we'll put all the links to uh, Anne and the book in our show notes so you can reference those. And listeners, do come back again for our next episode. We'll be continuing our conversations with healthcare leaders in many fields at the companies, uh, in the provider networks, and patient advocacy groups themselves to learn better what we can find out when we really listen to the patients speak. I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. With Mark Stinson, presented by 83Bar, supporting well-informed, confident, and decision-ready healthcare consumers for better patient outcomes. Learn more about their patient activation platform at 83Bar.com. You can listen to our show on any of your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media, The Patients Speak. Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83Bar. Look for The Patient Speak on your favorite podcast app.